Happy Sabbath, church family. Happy Sabbath. So good to see you today. I would like to briefly uh, uh, share with you on the topic, communion, no greater love. No greater love. Let's bow your heads with me as we pray and ask the Lord's blessing upon his word. Father, thank you. This is such an important time for your people. The table has been set. Your people are here. And so now we choose to reflect upon your amazing gift, Father. The gift of your only begotten Son who has provided access back to heaven through his blood. And so, Father, we ask that you would just use this time as we, as we go into your word to draw hearts to you. Use this time, Father, to mend the broken hearts. Use this time, Father, to to bring forgiveness, to bring a time of refresh, refreshing, to bring a new beginning and a new experience with you. I pray, Father, once again, I give you all that I am, uh, surrender all my faculties to you, to be used as you choose. Speak to my heart as you speak to your people. May we all be blessed in the process, but May we also be transformed, for we ask these things in the name of Jesus, that the church of the living God say, Amen. 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 Praise God. No greater love. We have been studying through the, the gospel of John chapter 15. And I'll ask that you turn with me there uh, to our key text this morning. John chapter 15, Jesus made a statement in that text. In fact, you do remember John chapter 15 centers around the fact that he was about to be crucified. This was the night before his crucifixion. And he wanted to gather with his disciples this last time to have this last supper. And look at what Jesus shared with them. John chapter 15. I'm going to read verse 13 and 14. In fact, these words really affected these disciples because they thought that Jesus was, was going to be with them for a long time. But Jesus said to them, in verse 13, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his what? Sounded good to them, right? Until he made the next statement. You are my, therefore someone will be laying down his life. 
and that is me. In other words, Jesus was saying, I'm about to lay down my life for you. And this really jolted them. It really did. Uh, They were looking forward to King Jesus getting rid of the Roman Empire and ruling Jerusalem for as long as possible. But here he says that he was about to die for them. I can see Jesus just sitting with them and pouring out his heart with these final words, hoping that these words would really help them so that when he's gone, they will be, still be able to thrive. And so, friends, I want, to, I want to just look, want you to look with me at two aspects, just two aspects this, this afternoon, to communion. And what does it mean? And how does it relate to us today? And we see this in this picture of Jesus relaxing with his friends. The first thing I'd like to share about communion is that communion is a remembrance of Christ's death. It's a what? We don't like to hear about death. No one likes to hear talk about death, right? They, the disciples didn't want to hear that. Talk to us about something else, Jesus, but not about you dying. We don't want to hear about death. What Jesus said in the same uh, uh, meeting, Luke describes something about this meeting, something that Jesus said that's not recorded in the Gospel of John. But in that same upper room, Luke described this in Luke 22, verse 19. Luke said, Then Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, This is my body, which is given for you, Do this in what? In remembrance of me. Jesus was saying, listen, it hasn't happened yet, but it's about to come. But I want you never to forget what you're going to experience tomorrow. And I want you to choose to remember it. In other words, you know the word remember is very significant in scripture. When Jesus said we should remember something, you better know you should. It's even more important that when your parents say, remember this. Mm-hmm. And you know when your mother said, don't forget this, that's very serious talk. But if Jesus said you should not forget something, didn't Jesus say, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? Six days shalt thou labor but do, and do all thy work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord thy God. What he's doing there is putting special importance on something. And if you choose to neglect it, it's not like he didn't tell you to remember it. You're actually choosing to forget it. But the thing is that, is that when, we don't for, when we forget these things, what really happens is this. We miss out on the blessings. We do what? We miss out on the blessings. Jesus said, remember this. Remember me. Don't forget this. 
The word remember, I like what one pastor says. He says when you, when you come to the communion table and Jesus says, remember me, it's not just something you try to remember cognitively. He says, this is what is happening. He says, it is more than a symbol. The very fact of eating the bread is making a contact with Jesus. It's not that the bread is the actual body of Jesus, but by faith, you are actually making contact with heaven. Amen? Amen? You are linking your life with heaven. And so remembrance is very important. And Jesus said, remember me, do this as often as you can to remember me. What was taking place in the upper room that night? They were simply doing what? They were all remembering something. What were they remembering? They were remembering the Passover. Are you with me? That's what they were doing. You remember back in Egypt when Pharaoh was keeping his God's people under bondage? Remember that? And it was, it was really hard for them. He overworked them. He was abusing them. They were in slavery for what, 400 years? It was hard time for these people. And that's what sin does to us as a people. Sin will hold us down in bondage. Sin will prevent us from getting all the blessings that God in store for mankind. Sin has one destination. And that is six feet down forever. Are you with me? Wages of sin is what? It's death. It's eternal separation from God. That's what it is. And remember, they were remembering how the children of Israel, they were doing this hard time under Pharaoh, the taskmaster, until God came. And God did an amazing work through Pharaoh's life, hoping that he would turn. And he sent judgment after judgment after judgment, and Pharaoh's heart would not budge. You remember the story? God had to send that last and final plague. That plague that will see the firstborn of every household slaughtered. Except, except for the household that will go ahead, kill an unblemished lamb, take the blood, and put it on the what? Doorpost of their house. You can, can you imagine? Can you imagine the Egyptians seeing this? I mean, I can just imagine them saying, these people are crazy. Look at what they're doing to these animals. This is nonsense. Paul likened this to the world when they look at us receiving all the goodness of Christ. Paul says to the world, it looks like foolishness. It's moronic. And so sure enough, the world, the Egyptians, they were despising, they were laughing after the Jews. Correct? But on that fateful night, when the death angel came across Egypt, all those who had the blood painted on their doorposts, they would live to see their firstborn. Those who did not, judgment came. And judgment came to Pharaoh's house, right? All across Egypt. And sure enough, God told them that led to a miraculous 
miracle, if there's such a word. <laughs> it was amazing, their journey through the Red Sea, right? God led them through from Egypt through the Red Sea, and that was just an amazing uh, 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 miracle from God. And God will do the same thing for us today, friends. When we trust him, even though it looked foolish to the world, when we trust him and we believe in him, guess what he'll do? He will change your life. He will do miracles, not only in your life, but in your family. He'll do wonderful things for you, but the good thing that, the best thing that he'll do for us, he'll give us a confidence in him. Knowing that no matter what should happen in my life, guess what? There is a heavenly cane in the head. And God is leading me to that destination. Amen? Amen? Yes, it seems foolish to the world. But heaven is mine. You can laugh all you want. You can say it's boring. You can say whatever you want to say. But the day will come when I will have heaven as my inheritance. And what will you have? What does the world offer to the unbeliever upon death? It offers Nothing. What does it offer? Nothing to the unbeliever. God told them to remember this situation, how he led them through from Egypt when they were in bondage, and he gave them this as a gift that every year they should, they should gather together on the 14th day of Nisan, and celebrate the Passover. Celebrate what he did in the past. And now Jesus is saying, celebrate what I will do for you tomorrow. Amen? Amen. He's drawing back on the past. And now the ultimate lamb of God was about to spill his blood. And any person who take a dab of that blood and put it on their hearts would have heaven secured for them. I mean, the, the significance here is very powerful. It's a remembrance. It's a remembrance of what God, God did for the children of Egypt back there. And now Christ, the Passover lamb, was sitting in their midst. He was right there in their midst. Uh, the, Bible, the Bible is very, very clear about this, folk. There's something here that we should remember. Christ was saying, remember his death. Why death? Why didn't Christ say, remember my life? I mean, we should. I mean, when we read the Gospels, we, we see his life right there. But why did he point out his death? He wanted us to remember his death because death is an enemy. Are you here, my friends? Death is an enemy. Most, lots of people don't want to consider that, hey, listen, death is a part of life. They don't want to consider that part of life. But truth be told, sin brings death. And you know what, friends? Christ, Christ was given to humanity to shield us from something. And God wants us never to forget this. When a person dies without Jesus Christ, they will receive what's called the wrath of God. Y'all hear me? The wrath of God. What is the wrath of God? 
The wrath of God is what the sinner will receive and their existence would be no more. There would be no more hope of a resurrection. You know, at the graveside, when the preacher reads that text, those who sleep in Jesus, if you go to sleep, the sleep of death without Jesus, you would never be guaranteed an eternal life existence. It would be lights out forever. That's the wrath of God. It's considered to be the second death in Scripture. And when someone dies a second death, there's no more third death, okay? That is it. There's no more coming back to life. Someone needed to pay that for humanity. Are you with me? Someone needed to absorb the wrath of God for humanity. And, and that, is, that is so important because God is also a judge he loves, but he judges at the same time, right? Yes. I like how Psalm 7 verse 11 puts it. It says, God is a righteous judge and a God who fears indignation every day. He's a God of wrath. Romans 3 verse 5 verse 9 says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. We are saved from his wrath. Someone needs to step in and absorb that wrath. Someone needs to pay the death, the forever death for me and for you. Amen? Because if we ever taste that death, that's it. We need someone else to taste that death. Who will step up and say, I will pay the penalty for mankind? Who would step forward and say, I will choose to go under forever? Who would pay that price? Wow. Wow. Remember my death. How significant it is. And what I went through for you. I, I like what John Wright said. He, considering God's wrath and the punishment of the second death, John Wright says this. The God of white hot rage he entitled this book. He said, does my title seem extreme? Perhaps. You see, I am not interested in the kind of God I want to believe in, but the God who really is. Christians are idolaters, he said. We may not crave God. We may not carve God out of wood. But we do try to forget the uncomfortable parts of him and shape him to our own personal comfort. We want the God of love, but we don't want the God of wrath. I once read an article, he said, of a man who called himself an, an, an evangelical. He talked about the kind of God he would be comfortable with. He was at least being honest about this thing that we all do which is making God into a teddy bear. Making God into a what? A teddy bear. We, we are not called to be God's public relation experts, he said, but we are called to be witnesses. The only image we must project is the correct one. We are, we are to aim 
to the effect, for the effect, God's character is not a subject for a media campaign designed to present his best face forward. God is not interested in projecting himself to be this God of love, which he is. He's a God of love, but he's a God of wrath. And when we remember God's death on the cross, Jesus' death on the cross, what we're remembering is what he took upon himself for us. And we must never forget that. It's not something that we just talk about and, as if it has no significance. He died the forever death for mankind. And that is something I appreciate about him. Amen. He who has eternity chose to give it up so that I might receive it. Amen. Not only do we just remember his death, but we also remember... We also recommit our lives to his provisions. Jesus said in verse 19, we read Luke 22, verse 19. Now he said in verse 20, Luke 22, verse 20, this cup, he said. He talked about the bread before, correct? Now he said, this cup is the new covenant by my blood. It is shed for, for you. In other words, Jesus was telling them that I chose to step into your place as a substitute. I chose to receive the very wrath of God so that you might not. Are you with me, friends? It's a powerful thing when you think of what Jesus has done for mankind. Ellen White says the divine son of God was the only sacrifice of sufficient value to fully satisfy the claims of God. God's perfect law. Which require, if you keep it, all right, you're fine. But if you don't, if you break it, death. Correct? Jesus satisfies the demand of God's law. Isaiah, this is powerful. Look at Jesus the sacrifice, our substitute. Look at him. I hope you can see him through the prophet Isaiah. He said, Isaiah said in, in um, Isaiah 53 verse 4, Surely he has borne what? Our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem them what? Stricken and smitten by who? By God. God is full of white-hot rage against sin. Are you with me, friends? And God wants to purify this earth, this world of sin, but if he, he knows if he pours it out on Sean Harris, I'll be dead forever. But if Sean Harris received Jesus by faith, what I'm receiving is that God inflicted him for me. He poured out his white-hot rage on Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. Amen. Amen. I mean, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are what? Healed. All, oh, listen to Isaiah. The prophet said, all, like sheep, we have gone what? Astray. Have you gone astray? Have, 
Have you ever walked away from God? When I listen to some of the baptismal stories, you can hear how people walked away from God. And, but guess what? God led them back. Amen? Amen. Amen. But look at this. Uh, um, but he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was, like, was upon him. And with his stripes we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid the iniquity upon him for us all. We are the ones who went astray. Not him. But yet still God what? Placed it on him. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought, bought as a lamb to the what? Do you see the imagery of the lamb? The Passover lamb? He, he, this Isaiah was prophesying of, about what was taking place in that upper room. He, he, he uh, what should take place the very next day, he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before a shearer is dumb and he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Didn't that happen? He was in the, the courts with, with Pilate, right? Yeah. I, I mean, he, you, see the, you see the prophecy here about Jesus' death. He was taken from prison and from judgment and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off the land of the living for the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. Listen to verse 10. Ooh. Listen to this. Yet it pleased the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Even the father, while, he was, while he, was, he was pouring out his wrath upon his son, he wasn't just thinking about his son. Who was he thinking about? He was thinking about us. He was thinking, I'm, I'm going to give humanity the greatest gift ever. Ever. The life of my very son. It pleased him to do that. No greater love. No greater love than this. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put, put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. When they were piercing Jesus, when they were flogging him, when they were putting nails in his hand, guess what? God was satisfied. That is so deep. God was satisfied. Because what was happening there, that was the path for man to now gain a right relationship with God. That was now such a significant moment for the entire human race to connect back with God. That's how powerful that was. And it pleased God to sacrifice his son for us. And yet still some people treat it so trivially. Some people talk so bad about it. Some people even crack jokes about it. When it's so significant that God provided a substitute. A substitute. Is Jesus your substitute? Wow. For all, my, all I've sinned, the Bible says, 
and then being justified, Romans 3, verse 23 to 26, through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God has set forth as a reconciliation through faith in his blood. When we think about the blood of Jesus, the fruit of the vine that we will drink, we must remember that it's because of that blood we now have access to God. We can now enter a right relationship with him. And the moment by faith we accept Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, guess what happens? He now looks upon us through the lens of his son. He doesn't see me and my sins anymore. You know who he sees? Uh, Elder Marlon? He sees Jesus Christ before he sees me. Amen? So his white hot rage does not come upon me. Wow. Jesus is my substitute. And that's why I choose to remember him and his death. You know, the story is told of a third grade teacher. She gave her class an assignment. And the assignment was this. The assignment was this. That there were two insects, one a grasshopper and one an ant. And guess what? Both should prepare themselves for the harsh winter ahead. All right? And so uh, uh, she said, well, uh, Mr. Ant and Mr. Grass, Grasshopper, they use the time before winter to prepare. She stopped. And then she said to her class, I want you to go home and write the end of the story. Because Mr. Grasshopper did all that he could to bring all of the food he could together in preparation for the winter. But Mr. Ant, he ate everything he got and never saved any. So go home and come back with the ending of this story. And sure enough, the kids, they run home and wrote their little story and they came back the next day and some of them said, oh, good for Mr. Ant. He didn't prepare well. But Oh, we're so happy for Mr. Grasshopper because now he has all the food prepared for what? So when the winter came, most of the kids say this. They said, listen, when the winter came, Mr. Grasshopper lived. Mr. Ant died. Good for him. Good for him. Except for one third grader. Except for one third grader. His ending was so profound. When the teacher read it, she had to call the parent. And she called the parent and she shared with the parent what her child had written. This third grader said, Mr. Grasshopper took all of his food and gave it to Mr. Ant. Mr. Grasshopper died during the harsh winter. 
Mr. Ant lived. And at the bottom of the story, the third grader drew a cross. Amen. A third grader got it. What about us? When we gather at the table, it's all about the sacrifice of Jesus giving up his eternal life so that we might live forever. It's the greatest exchange. And it's now our decision if we would choose, as ridiculous as it may sound, to receive him by faith. Amen. Is there anyone here who would like to say, Jesus, I want to make you my Lord and Savior for the rest of my life? Amen. Praise Amen. the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. I see those hands. Praise God. He sees it, friends. He sees it. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. And you might be here today. And you have never sealed the deal with Jesus. Yes, you've been hanging around religious stuff and, and you've been hearing stuff from your parents, but you have never personally said, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I want you to be my Savior for the rest of my life and my Lord. This is the time to take care of that. Again, I want to say right before you, there are some cards and you can seal the deal with Jesus now by accepting him and then being baptized. If you would like to be baptized in the near future, don't leave here today without handing me that card. All right? You will have the communion service to ponder it. But right now, why not just give your heart to Jesus? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. This is such an important part of our life as Christians and as disciples. A time when we just reflect upon the gravity of the decision that was made in heaven on our behalf. The forever death penalty that was paid by our substitute, Jesus Christ. Father, may as we, as we eat, may as we sup together, may this supper impress upon us the amazing gift shared with us from heaven. May the cross become central to who we are and all that we do. And may Jesus Christ of Nazareth be lifted up in all of his glory for the world to see. Because we pray this in his name. Let the people of God say, Amen. Amen.